0: Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash... I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51, thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello everyone, this is the introduction to the introduction before we then go into a third introduction it's a, a Russian doll of introductions today uh, welcome to Book Shambles, Josie and Robbie's Book Shambles uh, this is just a reminder if you are able to support us via Patreon that will be utterly fantastic thank you very much to everyone listening to this who already does support us via Patreon uh, at the moment it's kind of less than 2% of our listeners support us by Patreon if we can manage to get that up to 5% it puts us in a much better position because uh, uh, Josie and I and Trent as well what we normally do for a living is live shows and it's not been a good time so uh, if you're able to support us and we're putting out so many new shows as well uh, a new series of conversations with people including Neil Gaiman and Tim Minchin and Nicole Stott and Anne and Francesca Stavrokopoulou that's coming up soon uh, the Uncanny Hour series, loads of specials especially for Patreon supporters including behind the scenes where you can actually watch the interviews live whenever we're able to do that so if you can support us via Patreon thank you very much, now here is the introduction to the show, Josie Long
1: Hello, friends. Uh, It's me, your pal, Josie Long, and I'm here with my pal, Robin Ince. And this is, hello, this is Josie and Robin's book Shambles. And today's episode was really exciting and fun. And we got to speak to the Renaissance woman that is Alexi Pappas. She is uh, an Olympian, she is a filmmaker, she's a writer, she's an actor, um, and yeah. It was really cool, I think.
0: I think she's, is she the first Olympian we've had on? I don't know if we, Ooh. in all the years we've done it, I don't think we've had an Olympian before.
1: Gosh, we haven't. Oh. Wow. Well, to be fair, it's not like there's loads and loads of them knocking about. Do no, but we've I mean? done Nobel Prize winners be. and
0: stuff. We just haven't That's got true. up to an Olympian. So it seems very slack that we've taken this long. But Also, um,
1: of all the people we've met, she's most likely to do the doubler. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She could get a Nobel and she could get an Olympics.
0: It's like Andrea the classic Samuel Beckett, you know, to be both in Wisdom Cricket Annual and also win the Nobel Prize for Literature. He's the only one who's done that. So That'd be Johnny's she's... dream. <laughs>
2: and now here is the third introduction with producer Trent. Because Robin and Josie failed to mention the URL, patreon.com slash bookshambles, if you would like to support us, we really appreciate you doing so. And remember, that gets you access to all the stuff that Robin's mentioned, plus extended episodes of Book Shambles each and every week. And if you can't support us on Patreon, that's perfectly fine. But if you could go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review five stars, that would really help us out as well. And now here is Robin and Josie and Lexi.
0: I was going to start off. This is one of the things that I love about doing this show, and I know you saw my my tweet about it, Alexi, is the fact that quite often I read books that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen, Like because I, I read a lot, and I wouldn't necessarily have gone, oh, this is a, a, a book by uh, a young yeah, Olympian. Certainly. I must read it. And this is what I love about the show, is because then I read the book, and I go, well, there was a world where I didn't read this book, and that would have been a That's- terrible mistake. Because it's such a great book, and it's... I wanted to start off by asking you, when when you started writing it, and it's very beautifully written, when did you, did you have any inkling of who you thought it was addressing? Did you ever think yeah. about who it might be for?
3: Well, I love that you found it in an, you know, and you might not have otherwise. And I think that's really, um, you know, there's an audience where like, I know there are people who resemble What I might have reminded my, what I might have been when I was younger, and just like seeking mentorship and wanting to imitate whatever I could to figure out what it was to grow up, chase my dreams, be a woman without having, you know, my mom around as a young girl, but also just uh, like craving that. And so I think that that's like a built in uh, awareness that I have that there is that audience. And But I also think that this book is for parents, because it's as much about how I grew up and how I was raised as it was, uh, as it is about chasing your dreams. And I love that you found it. And I hope that more people find it who might not expect that it would connect with them, because I think it's, it's more than you think. Hmm.
0: Yeah, my problem is I love, as Josie knows, as Josie's like this as well, we love all books. So you end up having <laughs> to make, a, it's a bit like the reason I chose to be a vegetarian. It's nothing to do with ethics. It meant I could make fewer decisions at a restaurant, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's the same with books. I try and go, I'm there must like be a that genre a that I don't like. Oh no, there's not. But
1: I, I I like a buffet. I'm the opposite. I'll I'll just get as much of everything as I can.
3: That's yeah. why we get
0: on. We're so different.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's good. You're you're a good balance here. That's funny because I, you know, oh, I I, I love the quote. Oh, do you like the? Well, I was going to say there's a whole chapter called the mentor buffet. So I think yes. you probably like that chapter.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry, I, I feel really stupid because I was thinking about it today before, uh, b- before meeting you. Because I, I, I was thinking, oh, wow, I, yes, I, I really feel this so much. I feel this so much. And so then yeah. that's why I was like, but I do love a buffet quite desperately. And I really, really got that. And I, I think as well, like, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the fact that like, your achievements are so diverse and so broad ranging, like, I I've, I just want to know more about it and more about you as a person like how how do you become a renaissance person like this it's so exciting yeah
3: well so I will say I think that like my my well one I think that acting and running are not so dissimilar if you're talking about those two pursuits because they're both performances right you're like hmm. getting in a costume of sorts and you're performing and I've always really enjoyed that um but Also, you know, my interest in the arts, I think, came first, to be honest, like I loved improv theater and writing early in college. And it wasn't till late in college that I thought the Olympic dream was possible. And it actually took having encouragement and permission, I think, in a way from my creative mentors to actually go pursue that Olympic dream because I was so invested in my creative dreams. And I think it's you know, you would expect your creative mentors to be like, well, then stick in that lane. Like you're doing well. And they were actually like, no, you only have this like body that you're able to make, you know, these strides with for so long. And, um, you should do that. And basically what they, the message they sent to me was that to be at the height of any world will help improve any other world. And so Mm -hmm. I was convinced that, you know, being at the Olympics will help my filmmaking, whether it's having an interesting world that I know a lot about or just having a mindset of like being at the top of that world will help me in another pursuit you know and and they have they've complemented each other it makes
1: perfect sense because it's dedication and practice and also I feel like achievement is attractive to other achievement
3: yes it is and that's why you know when I listen to Podcasts, for example, you know, talk about podcasts. It's one, a way for me to have mentorship from afar. Like if I live in a mountain town, which I did for several years, I really relied on like audiobooks and podcasts to guide me because I wasn't like in the room with people I wanted to be like all the time. I mean, I had great teammates but I wanted to be around great minds. And I think it didn't mean just great runners, but like, I love listening to podcasts about chefs at the top of their game because Mm -hmm. I can learn from them. And I think that um, that's like a a characteristic of me. And I think it's something that we can all always do is like not outgrow that desire for mentorship even if it's not someone that's in the room with you.
0: Can I ask, as we're recording this the the day after um, the inauguration, one of the things that I've seen from a lot of people on social media in in the response to looking at kind of the new cabinet of the White House and a lot of the people who were out front is exactly that that they are seeing people who the mentorship is the fact that people who've been given power, people who are now in charge, the, the diversity, the increased diversity across the people you know at the front of the white house yesterday immediately seemed to be an encouragement to a lot of people who probably for the last four years in particular have felt very much on 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 the outside any you know and and anxious and uncertain
3: yeah i think you're right that while while it's we can't always control if the people we look up to look like us or feel like someone who could you know, be our friend or someone who we can relate to. It's a beautiful gift when that does happen. And it should happen more and more that we can look up to people who uh, show us simply by existing that our dreams are possible. Mm -hmm. And so it's really special to see it happening um, because it just makes more normal, like dreams that should be possible. Right. And that The more it happens, the more it becomes, you know, a part of our common dreamscape that these 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 opportunities are for everyone.
0: I think it's very I mean, I was thinking today how many people might have started their day writing poetry this morning
1: because of Amanda
0: Gorham, because, you know, something like that to me there are so many people who and we've we've talked about this quite a few times on the podcast lots of people you if you're in a position of of power as i am in terms of you know being you know male and heterosexual middle-aged and all those things then it's very easy to forget about the need for permission that Mm -hmm. because i've kind of been brought up to an extent with permission there's lots of role uh, models for me. Bad. And I thought, you know, watching Amanda Gorham, it's like uh, that's a, a lot of people who I think will suddenly, and in the same way in, in your book and the way that you write about some of the the, the terrible things that, that, that happened when you were growing up, and we'll talk about those those later on as well, if that's okay. And, and then some of the great ways as well, some of the challenges you had. That to me means that a lot of people reading your book, they're going to leave that and go, I kind of feel that I have permission to explore some of these areas now.
3: For sure. It's like... Um it's like, it's like when it's like a vocabulary expansion, right? Like your vocabulary for what's possible expands and shifts. And, um, it's so cool to see more and more just like expectations, uh, hopes have become possibilities become expectations or something right for, for people. And, um, and I think, part of the reason to write like a memoir and or make a movie different from simply posting on social media is that hopefully it shows people that the path to like a dream come true can be very circuitous and you can start somewhere and end up completely, you know, somewhere completely else. So that was part of the reason to write it. It was to like, I think just give people like the chance to assume that if they fall anywhere within the spectrum of like wanting to chase the highest dreams, which I think I've chased and gotten a few of those, to feeling some of the most difficult feelings or having some difficult experiences, which I've also felt and experienced, then they're allowed to give themselves permission to to chase those things, those like, you know, dreams, right? Um, Because it's easy to see on social media someone where they've ended up and be like, I assume that their journey was this way, and that's why, you know, memoirs are really important. Yeah.
0: Um, I... Oh, well, I was going to. Oh, sorry, Josie, oh. I wasn't sure if you. No, gonna... my
3: brain is absolutely
1: terrible, and my problem is when I enjoy listening to. You, I'm like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> that's not good for interview.
0: Um, oh, also, I've just eaten a risotto because of the time he's oh, no. here, which I've made. It's way off. Very he's good risotto, a risotto. So a lot too. My 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 brain blood is all in my stomach. It's in. Well, many you know
3: ways. what? I want to ask you something. Cause I see it. Oh no one might be able to see this, but I see like a blackboard behind you. Are you someone who uses the blackboard and like writes down goals or schedule? Like, what do you write on that?
1: Yeah. Robin, what's behind you?
0: Do you want to know what that is? That's my yeah. sister's blackboard for her doing her oh. own university oh, man, course. <laughs> if, if, if you saw my room, because at the moment, I'm because of, of lockdown, I'm, I'm I'm living with my my dad here, and uh, uh, and normally, as Joe says, I have just a lit- a chaos of books is the only way to describe it. Really? Whereas my sister is much more ordered. I would never be able. It to looks like, like a, a real course
1: his his um, attic looks like the attic of somebody who is in crisis and mine just moved so mine doesn't count
0: <laughs> yeah mine, mine reflects my brain I, I wanted to ask you about it there's a, a the the introduction by maya rudolph which is a, a, a worth it almost alone the forward is fantastic and one of the lines that really stood out for me was where she said comedy is a wonderful avoidance tool that i would highly recommend if you're not up for feeling your feelings and that seemed to be a very interesting starting point for then going into your story
3: Yeah. Yeah. I was so grateful that Maya Rudolph wrote that forward for Bravey. And I love her, her like vantage point of one talking about, you know, her experience in comedy, but two, you learn later in the book just how, you know, similarly we grew up without a mom and with that, um, you know, close relationship with our brother and our dad. Uh, But I think what she really says in there is like, Yeah, like the role of comedy in our life, but also what we think these high achievers are like, like whether it's an Olympian or a baseball player or not an athlete, just somebody else at the top of their game, we assume certain things about them. And she basically says that it's it's surprisingly not true, that they're not superheroes, they're human beings. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really special um, because it's true that we like assume people are superheroes when maybe they are just humans. Uh, but to your point about the comedy, um, yeah, it's like, it's interesting because there's also like, I talk about the role like Jerry Seinfeld played in my life. And that was like, I think where comedy came into a strong, you know, uh, mentor role in my life simply because the show Seinfeld was on all the time and it seems like silly comedy like what he's doing but what I think was really going on for me was connecting the dots where like he's just really honest and like he finds funny things about the world but he like wears his feelings on his sleeve in such a like a wonderful way compared to the alternative of just like hiding everything you're feeling you know
1: I think that's, that's an interesting thing with regard to, like, I think initially people use comedy to deflect unpleasant things, like, as a younger person, that's how a lot of comedians are formed, it's like, oh, I'll make jokes, and then I'll hide. And I feel like comedy is actually this lifetime friend that, you know, you can write about the most difficult and vulnerable things and comedy is always there to make that writing better and make it, but it's sort of a way that as a person you evolve, you stop using it as a, as a, um, as a gimmick and start kind of using it to really, really mind down.
3: Yeah, so like basically what you're saying is like, maybe it begins as like a coping mechanism, but at mm. its best comedy is like super truthful yeah. and like really, really grounded. And like, it's funny because it's so truthful and that's so um that's very true and i know you both know a lot about that you know and oh no but i feel like it's a part
1: of developing your own writing voice too isn't it it's like learning your your the way to stand in your own comedic shoes and how that builds mm-hmm. and yeah i love it yeah um, i wanted this is a bit silly and frivolous but like every yeah, comedian cool an improviser that I know is such a schlub. And I'm like, how do you as an Olympian, like hang out with these people who are like, a I shlub. know everyone. Hang on.
0: Yeah. Schlub. 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 That's you a word.
1: Mean, You've only just started doing personal training now in your fifties. Nobody. Every, what I was it, doing I kettlebells
0: know. 20 minutes ago, mate. You yeah. Don't you schlub me. All right. Sh- Can't That's believe
3: me. It. I'm just saying like it, <laughs> it to me must it feels no I get it well it's funny because the improv group that I was in in college um was and this was like before I was like competing really well and running was it was this improv group at Dartmouth that years prior Mindy Kaling and Rachel Dratch were in who are these you know writers and actresses that we really admire and Mindy blurbed the book which was really really nice but um i was the first like varsity athlete in the group and there was actually like one other guy that was like i was a varsity athlete but i quit in the first week and they were like you'll quit too and that was really funny to because they were like there's no way like if you're in dog day which was the, the name of our group they're like you're probably gonna like just not be running anymore and i i actually made it the whole four years in both running and the group and I loved the counterbalance, honestly, of like going from practice to rehearsal because we, you know, like in, in improv, we still took the craft seriously. Like we were learning the dealt clothes method and all that stuff. Um, and we were good, but it was also like hilariously different. And it, and it formed me as a person, I think to be in the improv group, because, you know, it's like having a bunch of siblings in the room, right? Like they really keep you grounded and like. They also raise you. Like, I felt like the seniors really took care of me and I was so grateful for that. Um, Isn't... Sorry. No, no, I was gonna speak to the schlubbiness of it. And we went out and I got, you know, we that happened too. It just I just chose to do a little bit less of the partying side of it, like my junior and senior year. But I certainly, uh, you know, we performed in frat basements and um, it was great. It was so fun.
0: See I think there is a transition as well and it's probably different for some of the younger generation comedians but like in my generation comedians there was a point where you continue to live terribly or you went hang on a minute I'm 35 I got to do stuff life is finite and and then and all of those comics are the ones who kind of you then suddenly go oh they're doing another of those comedy gigs at uh, Everest base camp and that you know, and it's an interesting <laughs> bit of of I I think within comedy, there is a chance for perpetual infantilization where you don't, you know, I I think the joy of being childish is very, very important. But there's another bit where you kind of get caught in being a late teenager. And I think that's an interesting bit if you can escape from that or not.
3: Yes. Well, okay. So perhaps that, so it's interesting because I did experience that like the people that, you know, taught me at my at my university, it seems like half, everyone would have, I think, maybe not, but I think most people would have loved to pursue the arts or like some sort of extension of their improv life after the college experience. And I think like half of us did and half of us didn't. And the ones that didn't, I think, were as it often can be, right? And the ones that did, I really, you know, I really admired and I think we've supported each other but to your point about the like infantilization and that I think where it turns is like um can we turn something that's like a privilege and a hobby into something where we're indispensable and it's a job and it's a craft and like um that takes some you know uh understanding that like what we're providing as like creatives needs to be unique to us like why are we the ones to be in this role or not right because it's a privilege I think and so uh I think you have to get crafty right if you like really want to turn it into like a life not just a hobby or something that might peter out right and uh that takes just as much determination and rigor as like any other dream, right? It's like a job. If you want to turn into a job or you want to turn into your life, whether it's improv or like the next thing after improv writing or acting or whatever you, whatever you like beyond improv, um, it takes discipline. Right. Mm. Um, and that requires growing up a little, I think. And, you know, it's funny we're doing this film project now with, one of the founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, Matt Walsh, who's like a mentor to us. And it's so fun because I feel like I grew up looking up to him and like what he built and now to be able to like work with him has been a dream come true. And uh, you know, that stuff can start to happen, but you have to be able to hang in there for the hard parts.
1: Yeah, it's a long thing to weather, I think. Yeah. But it's fine. He's like yeah. it's adventure. Well, also it's that it's that balance between like being creatively open and being um, being creatively open, but not being childish, like being playful, being childlike, and not, and also being kind of an adult who's prepared to like tough it out at the same time.
3: Yes, like being creatively playful, but still creating something that is unique and uh, like deserves its place at the table, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I think yeah. there's an I think a lot of the people that we might kind of mix with as well, and I'm sure it's true of you, is you look at what they do and there is no other choice if you see what I mean, which is all the comics and the artists I think you, if you look at you go, they have to do this. If there's like at this moment, for instance, you know with, with lockdown and what's been going on with the pandemic, uh, there is for some people the, the first reaction is right what can we make? It doesn't matter that there's no money, we've got to make stuff. And I think you know that, that that is I think one of the big divides very often with people. It is that that intensity of the, that it's for some people I think it it can seem like a career I remember a friend of mine once saying he said it was crazy I was in this green room and there was this big name comic and he said I reckon one more tour and I can retire he went Re- what do you mean retire and, and it's something I always feel like going. the idea there might be a moment of uh, uh, might be much sooner than I hope of utter decrepitude that make al- almost everything impossible but the idea that I would stop because I could or had suddenly had some windfall go well that's not really why I, I do it and I right. think that's, I don't know yeah. how you see that, that, That that and certainly your drive reading this, you know, I mean, it's interesting. i sorry, I wanted to read roundabout why I saying this, but when you talk about chasing the dreams and the importance of that, how do you feel now about the sense that it doesn't matter if you reach the dream, but it is about having a look round as you go along and go, this is a really great place to be going.
3: Yeah, or, well... What you were saying before is like, kind of like, you're basically admitting you are someone who like lives to work, right? And I, I think I'm the same way where it's like, I'm choosing to do things with my time that are my work, but that I would, I enjoy enough that I'm not like trying to clock out at, at really, I mean, I'm trying to draw some boundaries, but it, there are people who love their work and they live to work versus, you know, work to play maybe is like the alternative where like the, the job is completely separate from your identity or your passions or Mm. something like that. And that's fine too. I think it's just about knowing yourself. Um, and to your, I I think what you're saying is like, you'll never retire. and, And I think, I think I'll never retire, but it was because I tried to like craft a life where I could do the things that, I wish I would be paid for, you know, or I used to wish I would be paid for and now I'm able to do them as a job. Um, But it's a constant negotiation because I know that I need to keep like earning the ability to do this. And that's where getting back to your first question about, do you know your audience? Like I definitely am always trying to be aware of my audience. And I think that's, that's, um, it's kind of a tricky question to ask an artist like do you care about who you're making this for and I don't think it's selling out to be like yeah I do care about my audience I don't know how you feel about that but
1: well I I think it's always complicated because I think on one hand you're trying to follow your own bliss and you're trying to mine as well as you can your own individual voice and things like that and so in some ways your audience is you but I always think that your audience is the you that that wants the thing that you don't have yet it's um it, it's like if you uh well we've got this slogan which is sometimes if you want something to exist you have to make it yourself and so i think i think it's totally fine to imagine an audience that's like a, a, your sole twin who's like desperate but i also think i'm somebody i'm weird and awkward and i've always had things where perhaps i don't quite understand what i feel the mainstream would want even though i desperately believe i do you know so like my offerings i'm like is this mainstream and people like no so i think it it is it's complicated isn't it because you do want to listen to the people who love your stuff and and consider them and and think about who you're pitching stuff to but also you want to you need to make the song of your
3: heart yeah you have to manifest the greatest version of yourself and is that okay um I'm I don't
0: gonna, know if I I don't listen. know if I answered Robin's question so if I didn't I don't know if I asked so done so it yet. I, don't, I I asked about. always do this I start asking a question then I go hang on I want to know about that and then, yes, always, me then too. I've got to bring it back to that and then uh, you are you sat there confronting a selection of uh vowels and trying to work out what on earth is going on so I would I'm, not worry about whether you uh, answered that question like there to- would have not been one
1: well, I, I I want to ask you a bit about what you love to read, and um, maybe what you're reading at the moment, but also just uh, favorite books that you've got. Maybe that's too broad. What do you love to read in general?
3: Well, I really like essays. Like I, I have to say, I like like short, short stories, short essays. I don't know if that's just like sometimes I like these little. Um, infusions of like imagination and inspiration so um, you know like I, I remember like two people who had a big impact on me as writers were Sarah Rule who's a playwright um, her play Eurydice like opened up my eyes to just like what, what playwriting what dialogue could be um, and she also has written books of essays that I really love And another writer that I will always love is Joyce Carol Oates and particularly Wild Nights. That's a book of short stories and they're like fictionalized accounts of the last days of certain very famous writers. And I love that because she blends fiction with reality Mm -hmm. because it's like, these are real writers. Like this is actually how they died, but she like fictionalizes the whole like lead up and it's super imaginative. So um, they opened up I think my imagination quite a bit, and just as people i I got to meet Sarah rule earlier this year last year at a at the l a opera, and she had like a opera version of Eurydice and when I met her, it was kind of like I almost didn't want to meet her, you know because you have that feeling about how, who people are, mm-hmm. and you're like, I just hope that they are who who you hope they are, and she is she was a- when they are. Isn't it the
1: most incredible thing when they are? It's It's like
3: incredible. You're just like, you could cry because you're like, oh, everything is possible or something.
1: (laughs) They're like, the world can be good. Have you had
3: experiences like that? And like, with who? can you share one?
1: Oh, gosh, I can't. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just like... Oh, I feel really... I'm so bad at dredging... Well, I think... uh, Do you know what?
0: I'll throw some at at you, Josie, because I think actually we've been fortunate in... Certainly, in the work that we've done together, perhaps because of our taste is quite niche a lot of the time. Yeah, because because so it's. I mean, the good the example I would use is our friend Alan Moore, who oh, the great, yes! V for Vendetta and Watchmen and Lost Girls and, yeah. and all these and it's and Alan the what he is ethically what he believes in where his imagination goes and I've, you know, we've both known Alan for quite a long time now, mm-hmm. but I would say, you know, the first time I met him, I remember texting a friend of mine about two in the morning on the last train home, just saying how giddy I was. Cause it was really weird. Cause had been mm-hmm. reading his comics since I was, you know, nine, 10 years old or whatever. And I think Alan is, is a good example. And I, and I, Josie. I was, yeah, is that-
1: truly. But it's that feeling of, you know, this person whose work I admired is it's not fake. It's real and they've they've shared themselves and I connected with it and it's real. Anyway, I I, I would love to know more about what else you've been reading recently that you've been enjoying.
3: Yes, okay, well, when I was writing Bravey, I kept like a lot of books by my side because I just felt like um, it was a good way to get my language out of like the normal routine. You know, we use the same like several words in a day. And so I had a few books that I kept by my side I, Sour Heart is one of them, which is like a, it's fiction, but it, it feels like a memoir. So I really, I love, I admire, I love that book. Um, I have been listening to a lot more audiobooks recently because during COVID, I'm running alone. I'm like alone a lot. And so I need that. And I've listened to, in the last month, I've listened to David Chang's memoir. Eat a peach, which I really enjoyed because I think he's had one of those labyrinthian lives as well. And I admire him. I let's see. Barn 8, that's a fiction, um, which I think I prefer reading fiction on audiobook version. I prefer like having stories told to me while I'm running. I enjoyed that one. And, you know, I'm reading all the ones that like people read, like. And I'm not saying that people read them for a reason, but the like becoming, and the educated and untamed, like I enjoy all those books. Like, I loved I enjoy, Educated.
1: I just read yeah. it this year. I, I thought it was the writing was beautiful, so beautiful.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think that was a good role model book for me because it's not like she's not, you know, her story is really powerful, but it needed to be told in a with good words, right? Like I think. A story needs to have an experience is one thing, and the experience stands on its own. If it were like a TED talk or someone were just giving a speech, but she wrote it really well too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are some of the books. I mean, I'm just like I gobble up memoirs, like like you know, I will read any memoir. Bob Iger's memoir was fun. He just stepped down his head of Disney, and I think oh, that's wow. a really interesting one. Yeah,
1: yeah, that one's good and i wanted to ask you like how do you feel about your book kind of slightly intersecting with the world of self help and self motivation and things like that like do you feel you do you like sitting in that world how do you feel about it
3: yeah it's interesting so i think it is a it's like a privilege and it's fun to give people different vocabulary to see a circumstance that seems like objective and mm-hmm. so i'm cool with cuz it means it's helping people And it feels like a little less self self self-indulgent to write something that might help people. Um, So I'm completely comfortable in that space. And I hope that it, I hope it finds more eyes because it's not a running book. Like running is one of the worlds that I'm in, but I hope people find that it's just one playground that I'm playing in. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an important one, but there, there are other playgrounds and, yeah. I hope it, I think it will help people if they, if they know that it exists, you know? What do you want to write next? Sorry, Robin, I'm just jumping right. in. What do you want to write next? Well, I'm writing a television show and that's very fun. That's exciting. Um, yeah. It's different. It's different because I've written films, but it, it's almost like changing an event and running when you move from film to television. There's just like, <laughs> A few differences. It's like same sport, different different yeah. event, you know? So that's how I feel about that. I think it would be fun to write another book at some point. I don't know. I think it would be fun to write something for, like, teenagers, you know? Like, um, I don't know, like a fictionalized account of an experience that I've had. That would be fun. But I've never, you know, I i don't know. That's That would be very new.
1: Then you'd be like a heptathlete. You will just have like ten yes, just very... disciplines. <laughs> yes.
0: Aww. Was was there a point? I mean, the 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 book. As you said, you know, you mentioned about your mother taking her life, and this is pretty much where the, the book begins. And I would imagine that I remember Mark Everett. I don't know if you know Mark Everett from the band Eels, and, and his his memoir uh, is is wonderful memoir dealing with a lot of loss. Um, and he starts off the book by writing about four different styles. He says, I don't know what style to write this book. And he's very playful with it. But for me, that's what I was really fascinated by because there's two two weeks ago, we interviewed someone called Alan Davis, who's a great UK comedian. And he lost his mother at a similar age to you. Um, that, that was from cancer and he was never told and no one ever. And, and the way that he wrote it and in the way that you've written, I've, I thought for me, it was quite incredible in the space of two weeks to read two books that were able to connect so powerfully with such a, a personal story, and I'm I'm fascinated. By how did you find? You know, did you find when you started writing that you kept getting the wrong voice? Did you find that you were able to approach it very quickly? What was the process of of, of finding the voice that you felt was able to tell that story to to them, the reader?
3: Yeah, it's such a cool question because I feel like more so than in my film writing, I knew this um, this memoir voice from the start. like I cannot I could not write about my experiences in any other way. and I think that tone is like what what people find is, you know, someone told me that I, I'm like a kind knife in this book. <laughs> And it was such a nice thing to be told because I think I am pretty, um, I think if you don't know my writing and you just know me, you're like playful and ebullient and joyful and I am, but I'm pretty like to the point with the writing and that's how I've been with my own life. Like internally is just like, if I have a goal, if you have a goal, I'm going to take it very seriously. Like I'll take your dreams seriously. And I think that's how I tried to handle the language and the tone of this book, um, because the experiences will speak for themselves. And I don't think I needed to like flower them up or make it, you know, melodramatic. It's like, there's enough drama, there's enough um, gore and glory that I don't think I needed to play it up with the language. I just needed to put it in a way where it was really, really clear and really, really specific. So that's what I tried to do um, and just let the experiences as much as they could speak for themselves
0: yeah i think it it really works it's in in the last year we've actually we've had quite a few people on this show who have had a very personal childhood story the brilliant poet lem csay uh, Kerry hudson there's, there's there's um and then Alan and um and rebecca payton as well and yeah it's been it's 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 a really uh I mean, that's. Can I also just mention? But uh, someone who comes across uh, brilliantly in, in 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 this book is, is is your dad. Your 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 the the, the and yeah. I really and I wondered when you were writing this book because that's uh, as anyone who's ever written anything which. Involves your family or anything like that. There is the certain worry because sometimes we we you know the the, the people we keep the mask on the most can often almost be our family. You know the, the where you yeah. even at fifty one you can go home and go oh god it's embarrassed. But you know it it doesn't cut. Yeah. And I wondered how much you were th- when you were writing the book. Did you ever think ah oh, man is this going to be news to my dad? Is this okay? Is sure. this is this the way I should tell the story?
3: Yeah, I love that question. So my dad like you know, we didn't really talk about my mom or mental health or suicide or our feelings growing up. And he did like such a phenomenal job of raising my brother and I as a single parent. Um, He's an engineer. So he had that kind of like, really tactical mindset, really action oriented, like put them in sports theater, keep them busy. And I, I really admire, honestly, the way that he raised us. However, like there were certain things like talking about you know, mental health that I, I think if I had understood it more and if he had understood it more then I might've avoided, you know, having my own really big challenges with mental health after the Olympics. However, I never like blame him because I don't, I can't believe like what he's done. And, and it's so amazing to me and he's a superhero. And I think I tried to like show the world the whole picture. Um, so that they understood just how much of a superhero he really is. And if you look at any one moment in his parenting and in my life, it might not seem so like, I mean, there's like a chapter where like, he basically let me have like lice in my hair for two years. And um, that's not great, but like there was a bigger um, like lens that I tried to like show that story in to show like why and like what that mindset was and how it really was well-intended and then um as far as like my fear about publishing this book there was fear you know about honoring him and so I read it to him first uh out loud I flew him to LA and read it to him out loud over the course of a weekend about a year ago and uh it was really hard to be honest like to just I mean it was it was actually awesome because he did not understand I think why my mom died like he just really did not understand if it was a foregone conclusion or like what the deal was and what he did wrong or right and i think what i talk about in the book is like why the kind of care that i learned that she had would not have helped me when i had depression Mm -hmm. and that she really just didn't get good help in the 90s and i think it was so um cathartic for him because he realized she didn't have to die which is sad but also he understands why that help wasn't useful and it wasn't him so he he understood why this book was important and he was really supportive uh but i think reading it to him first was like important so that it wasn't this you know shock or something you know you never want to surprise your dad like that
1: but also what an important thing for the two of you to have that experience together for you to be able to read read it to him like for him to get to know you in that way like that like it must have been such a big a big moment for you as well
3: it was it was like i think it was like the moment like at the end of the book um like i talked about how i think he understood after i went through my depression that like i was going to be okay meaning like i had the tools to be an adult and like live my life and that's all he ever probably wanted I think he was probably really afraid of how i might turn out the way that i started and maybe you know the reading it to him was like that final book end of like we're cool Hmm. i'm gonna be fine you can do your life now because he's been so selfless and it makes me really grateful and really sad you know like how Mm -hmm. selfless he's been Mm -hmm. so i think it was like a good moment to be like you can have your life now without feeling so responsible it's beautiful as well yeah yeah Um. i love the
0: bit where uh, it's a very simple thing but there's a bit where you kind of talk about if you did really well on the track your dad took you out for an ice cream and if you did really badly, your dad took you out for an ice cream. And I yeah. think that's a pricey of what, but but that bit of just, there's a few moments there when I think of some of the parenting of some of the, especially people who are high achievers. And and as you mentioned also in training with some of the people who were trainers as well, this kind of, you know, a, 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 a brutality rather than uh, an encouraging kindness with a reasonably strong hand, which is a very different thing, you know? And okay. yeah.
3: It's an ego thing, right? Like if, if a coach or a parent's ego is wrapped up in their the kid's performance, it's never gonna feel, it's never gonna be uh, able to to really soar because it's like someone is squeezing too tight on it, and uh, you can feel it as a kid, as a you can just feel it when someone's squeezing too tight on your performance. You know, well, it's uh, like you
1: were saying before, it's not gonna fill whatever hole that person has that they're trying to make another person compensate for either. It's never- Totally.
3: Been and it's an energy that is passed on, right? Like that pressure is like, it's like palpable if somebody feels like they, you know, need you to be certain success. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that my dad never like, like he didn't care, but he like, it was almost like, as long as I was like alive and happy, everything else was just like a sandbox and fine. So it was all good. But um, also, it's a
1: good, it's a good strategy for then you going to the Olympics to be like, sure, I'm no pressure here. Yeah. Ha, you went, you did it. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think he enjoyed going to the dining hall and just seeing all the athletes oh, yes. just as much as like that I was competing. You know, so, he's a very, he's a simple pleasures kind of guy. He likes a good buffet and, <laughs> he, you know, like he's had a, I think he's like had a challenging enough life too, where like, he's just sort of like. Chilling, and I admire that. I guess. Well, you I think know? it's it, yeah, yeah, totally, and I I think
1: like as well, it's so that's so important. Like, well, th- this is just restating what we've already said, but this idea of like you are having goals and you're having things that you want to work towards, but it isn't about achievement for sort of this sake that's divorced from the act of living and the art of living well. It's. It's part of you living well and part of you sort of enjoying being here, not stopping that happening.
3: Yeah, and that takes effort, I think, to, like, retrain our mind to, to like, to let goals, like, come to us rather and, – and chase them at the same time. Man, it's a balance, right? Because, like, we're not saying, like, don't try for your dreams, but it's just, like – um there are certain mindset shifts that I've had to make so that I don't energetically push my dreams away on accident, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, which can happen, it can happen. Mm-hmm. So I hope people like learn, you know, <laughs> they'll learn a little bit more or earlier, maybe, or before they have to have some like terrible experience. Uh, and that's another reason why books are helpful. <laughs>
0: like,
1: sure, like, right. yeah, right?
3: get one in. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. And yeah, no, I, really, great. Really, and I
0: really enjoyed it, and uh, and also actually, your description—maybe I actually like running books because I really enjoyed a book last year about a guy who took up taking marathons as well. So I've maybe been missing out. But but God. I was going to say your description of going to the race and going into the different rooms on the way to the Olympics is the most visceral in terms of without mm-hmm. any. Again, it, what I love is there's no grandiose language, but there is just the sense of something is happening here and it's uh yeah. and it's always like take your cool water can.
3: bottle. yes always the water, take bottle. Your water bottle i hope that that's the only and most important lesson that everyone
0: well, <laughs> and, <always> ex- <laughs> and always
3: share and always share
0: one of the great things about I've, I've noticed this with all alexis fans is they're never parched they are never parched they are the least <laughs> Parched fans, mm. you nicely will find. hydrated sometimes, fans. Sometimes, sometimes they got got two water bottles on them.
3: Now yeah. we're just in inside jokes here. Only people who've read the book are going to get it. It's...
0: Well, to That's be honest, normally we start with inside and jokes re- and never go further out than that. Mm. So we've been surprisingly gregarious with our audience today. I think. Um,
1: yeah. I, I really want to thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks so much. And sorry, it pr- took us half the interview to warm up, but we're both sort of. What are you talking about? Lockdown I it was all fine. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> but it's, it's lovely That's to sweet. meet you. And like, we're cutting out that I'm apology, so Josie. Grateful. That schlub yeah, no thing—that's what's
0: got
3: me. <laughs> hey, that's another That's schlub. another improv thing that I, I learned. This is the last things I remember when we used to have shows that we thought weren't great, but our friends always thought they were great because it's improv comedy. Like you giggle, you laugh, and we'd be—they'd be like, "Good job!" And we'd be like, "No, that show was awful." <laughs> and and We had a team meeting where we were like, no more doing that. Like, let the audience think it's good, even if we made too many potty jokes or whatever. And then we'll talk with our core team about, so no apologising, this was the best show we ever did. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it's true. It took me to being 45
0: before I stopped doing that. Don't tweet (laughs) afterwards, sorry that show was shit. Because you eventually persuade people. We had a lovely time. But you've persuaded us, it was awful. So can we have the 20 quid back now?
3: <laughs>
1: exactly. I just do people would come up to me after my stand-up show and they'd be like oh I really like the show and I'd be like no it was terrible like no you didn't <laughs> Like that aggressively, and it yeah, now. I'm a lot more like, thank
0: you. Can you sign this? Yeah. I wouldn't want my autograph if I was you. I'm terrible, and you're lousy yes, for that's... liking anything. I that's how done. I used to ring
1: for gigs when I was 19 <laughs> years old. I used to ring people up and say, Oh, yes, I was just wondering if you've got any spots going. I'm not very good, to be honest. I'm not very good, right?
0: Again, oh. I kept doing that till I was 45. <laughs> um, thank you so hey, much, Lexi. Um, bravey, as I said, if, if you uh, wherever you listen to this, if you are somewhere where it hasn't come out yet, find a way of getting it. I, I order you, it. I just really, yeah. It, there will be ways of getting it now in this modern age, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. And thank you very much for joining us.
3: I'm so grateful, thank you, and take care. We'll talk Cheers. soon. Nice Brilliant. to meet Cheers, you.
0: Cheers, Lexi. Thank thank you very
1: much. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And uh, you can find Alexi's book by the time this is out. It's out now, so you can get on with that. I feel very much like I am being very professional today and I'm proud of
0: myself now. And thank you very much to our Patreon supporters as well. Yes. Yeah. I like it when you're professional. Your professional thing is... You talk a bit quieter and lean in more. I do. I know um, you do that on Radio 4 for your excellent I do. That's my Radio 4
2: voice. Yeah. And if you would like to become a Patreon supporter, patreon.com slash bookshambles is the URL you can go to to pledge your support for the show and the Cosmic Shambles Network in a financial nature. If you can't do it in that way, then we recommend going to Apple Podcasts and rating and reviewing five stars or just, you know, retweeting and sharing uh, the show out there on social media so thanks for listening we'll be back with a new episode next week until then take care and bye
0: this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network josie robbins book shambles was produced by trent burton of trunkman productions